Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights, conversations exploring network transformation through interviews with industry experts. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. I'm delighted to be joined today by Gary Lee, Associate Vice President at QCT. Welcome. Hey, good morning, Allison and the team here. It's, um, yeah, it's our honor to be here. Yeah. So, Gary, we, we find ourselves in Barcelona for Mobile World Congress. Um, this week is always a great week to see what the industry is delivering for the carrier uh, community. But I just wanted to start, uh, since we haven't had you on the program before, can you please provide just a short introduction about yourself and QCT? Okay. Um, as a matter of fact, as, um, yeah, QCT is doing the um, um, platform business for decades. Um, we started the, our journey in the uh, cloud service provider first. So during that day, as um, actually, uh, we collaborate with India very, very well. So go for the uh, very uh, big customer in the world. And follow the uh, you know the uh, same pace and also the uh, technology collaboration as uh, we get into the uh, telco business call service call service provider. Um, so uh, in back and forth, uh, some you know we uh, work with the Intel and uh, leverage existing what we have in the uh, infrastructure, including the server storage switch and the rack. And on top, just, uh, we build up the uh, infrastructure, the uh, software, and also uh, link up with uh, some of the uh, up appear the uh, VNF feature, uh, provide the end-to-end -end solution to the uh, customers. So uh, pretty much I, I think it's, um, that's um, so far the uh, journey for us uh, going to the account service provider. Myself, something the uh, QCT uh, leading the uh, um, telco solution relevant, the uh, integration app and the uh, solution engineering. Now, obviously, QCT has been historically known for making incredible innovations to drive cloud computing and working very closely with uh, cloud service providers on infrastructure. What does that um, experience lend to the current challenges uh, within the telco arena today as they look at virtualizing their infrastructure on Intel architecture-based hardware? Yeah, that's a very good question. So, um, you look at the uh, so far the overall the uh, service provider wrong. Some um, you know cloud service provider are moving into the uh, cloud, moving into the virtualization for decades, and so they they are doing very well. Yeah. So yeah, uh, in the uh, telco, in the cloud service provide the, uh, the markets, and some, you know that's a very good uh, reference in the technology wise and leverage some of the experience from there. So we'll see that some you know moving forward some. Typical, I think, they're stepping to the uh, deployment for the 5G, need you know, new infrastructure, and also, you know, challenging from the uh, com service provider. Typical, I think, uh, you know, CapEx, Altex, I think tremendously are using the uh, cloud technology. Uh, they can save a lot and also improve the overall the agility for that. So I think uh, some combined with the cloud technology together with some, some of the uh, transformation from the uh, a physical function to the NFE, as uh, previous the uh, network function virtualization, and also some of the uh, interconnectivity feature from the SDN. Mm -hmm. That pretty much has some um, you know good you know foundation, um, and um, you know move forward for the uh, new deployment for the 5G. Now I know that QCT and Intel have a long history of collaboration in many spaces, um, but with these. Xeon Scalable um, launch 
Last year, we also introduced Select Solutions, and you have been a great uh, collaborator in delivery of Select Solutions to the market. Um, tell me about the news this week. Yeah, as a matter of fact, QCD could be the uh, first one or two the vendor to pass some the very good idea about the Intel Select Select uh, Solutions. I think as um, um, if you look at the infrastructure, uh, including a, a lot of different the uh, component, uh, hardware portion and software portion. Be honest, yesterday actually I I talked with a um, carrier customer here. He said that's a tremendous integration effort as for land to moving forward. So. I think uh, Intel Select Solutions is um, you know, pre uh, config and pre integrate some of the uh, stuff and using a very good uh, validation suite to ensure us um, all this all the solutions combined uh somehow together can meet for the uh, you know uh, the telco requirements. I think that's um, tremendous a uh, very good uh, program that can save a lot of effort for the uh, uh target the uh, uh, carrier customer. Now, I know that there was a lot that went into this select solution, so can you just go under the hood and tell me a little bit about the hardware configuration, um, the software stack that you're using, and what um, target implementations you see as you talk to the telcos about what they're trying to do in terms of transforming their networks? Yeah, basically, I think it's uh, looking for the uh, performance requirements. Uh, so we based on the Xeon SP, the uh, processes, um, anyway, with uh, some of the features, including the QAT, acceleration of the uh, traffic. Mm -hmm. And also on top of some, you know, there's some, some design the consideration need to balance over the I.O., so including the NUMA and also using the feature that's very good the feature from the e, uh, EPA, uh, from the Intel, so including the CPU pinning and also uh, DVDK, SIOV. That's, that's, I think, it's a, uh, technology wise, it can improve the overall the, um, uh, data plane performance. Uh, on top of the other um, um, Linux feature, eventually provide the foundation for the other uh, virtualization or the VNet feature can on top to run on that. So I think it's um, that's a basic requirement. So number one is um, performance-wise, is the need to leverage the uh, best of the breed and solution from the Xeon SP, some of acceleration technology, some of the data plane technology, including the DBDK. That's set in a very good uh, foundation for the uh, uh, software stack and on top to run. And moving into the uh, software, so I think it's, um, uh, so far the uh, uh, Intel Select solution covered two uh, different the uh, uh, solution stack. One from the uh, uh, Ubuntu, the other one from the Red Hat. That's a very balanced because some of the customers looking for you know either side of the uh, 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 software stack to run on their solution. Mm -hmm. So we actually validate all the solution based on these two different the uh, stack and provide the end-to-end -end offering to the uh, potential the uh, carrier customer. Now, what has been the response from carriers on this uh, solution in the market this week as you've, as you've taken it out? And I know that you've got a demo here at MWC. Yeah, actually, I um, uh, share with uh, the idea with the, um, um, the carrier. Carrier love it. I mean, I, I mentioned this uh, integration effort, which is a, a tremendous effort from them, right? So Intel together with um, partner like QCT, we save a lot of effort and ensure the quality to them. So, so that, that's, um, that's one of the uh, very important value we can provide to them. And also we are discussing this with um, some of the um, um, uh, solution vendor, uh, so software vendor. They also love this idea because um, each vendor have their own uh, competences and you know, save a lot of unnecessary effort in the infrastructure can move in their uh, effort and moving their value into the uh, top tier the uh, offer they can provide. So I think, um, you know, either uh, partner um, 
software partners, origin partner, either customer or some um, leverage from this um, collaboration from Intel and the uh, QCD, quite, I think, uh, valuable for them, yeah. Now, Gary, tell me, I know that the Select Solution offering is a big thing for you guys at uh, Mobile World Congress, but what else is QCT featuring here, and what are the key things for you in the market uh, this year? Yeah, um, in addition to the Intel Select the Solutions, so QCT is actually spend a lot of effort in the infrastructure labor of the integration effort. So we back and forth uh, work with the uh, different the uh, infrastructure solution partner like in the OpenStack the uh, area we work very very closely with Red Hat. So based on the uh, Red Hat OpenStack the platform OSP10, together with uh, three parties a uh, collaboration we actually bring in a lot of the uh, EPA feature uh, be uh, optimized um, on top of the uh, you know QCT uh, Intel platform. And eventually, it's uh, provide the end-to-end uh, -end the uh, deployment effort to save uh, the, you know, the uh, integration um, um, chore from the uh, customer. So QTC, uh, if uh, based on the uh, um, Redhead, the OSP, finally we come up with our the first additional NFI the solution, and also uh, bringing in some of the value that we can uh, deploy to the uh, um, uh, very complicated across the node. So QDC one of the innovations areas in that we develop the uh, auto deployment to, uh, to accelerate all the uh, you know deployment effort. So that uh, can save a lot of time from hours, multiple hours uh, to maybe one or two hours, or even in some of the uh, small class that can be uh, deployed within hours. So that's uh, that's a tremendous effort. That's one part. The other part is uh, also working with closely with the. Um, Intel in the RST rescale design. Um, rescale design is pretty much just um, provide very flexible in the resource allocation. I think it's um, from the uh, demanding that uh, from the uh, um, account service provider that they actually sometimes um, the workload itself is uh, very very dynamic and you know sometimes it's um, it's, a, it's a hard topic for them to figure out the right skill to deploy them. So using the RST that um, can provide the uh, uh, workload on demand, the uh, service um, provision, mm -hmm. and eventually that work can be uh, integrated into the manual tier, so provide the resource labor allocation down into the resource pool allocation. Um, that's um, some uh, collaboration uh, with um, Intel uh, MPG team specifically, uh, some bringing the uh, real workload on top. Uh, so uh, I think uh, so some result uh, uh, showed up this a tremendous uh, you know a lot of value mm -hmm. and 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 the effort eventually is uh, we published uh, some white paper discussing about this innovation so I think it's either either one is uh, bringing the very good uh, foundation for the infrastructure layer that uh, can help the uh, carrier customer and also um, some of the um, uh, efforts with the um, community uh, like the ONF we co collaborate with them uh, quite a very uh, uh, frequently, so uh, uh, you probably know that so ONF uh, have a tremendous, very good programs um, in the uh, um, typical the uh, telco workload. So uh, last year, they come up with the CORD code project. Uh, within the code project, the three uh, different the uh, scenario: mobile code, M code, residential code, R code, and enterprise code, E code. Um, the code project itself uh, can provide the uh, disaggregated nature and also the flexibility to choose a different software piece. But the uh, challenge for the uh, carrier customer when they want to deploy the idea into their environment is uh, uh, 
put a very complicated configuration and come in and, and, and set up there from the uh, um, solid state nature. So um, Quanta work together with the owner. Eventually, uh, we uh, provide the uh, Copa ready SKU, which uh, we uh, uh, pre-validate all the uh, uh, hardware and the software stack uh, together with owner in advance. So end up that's um, bringing the um, Copa ready SKU. Um, carry cars can easily deploy their workload on top, so including mentioned the MCO, ARCO, and ECO. Uh, a lot of the uh, uh, carry customers stop by our booths looking for that. Let's see, hey, that's a, a very good idea because, uh, yes, it's the same value. We save a lot of effort for the customer. It seems like it simplifies the deployment of infrastructure quite exactly, a bit. Yeah. That's nice. That's nice to see on up making that progress and the. Quanta and Intel have all both been engaged there in terms of driving um, that forward. Um, Gary, I, I did want to mention that for those who are listening online, um, if you would like to visit Quanta in your booth uh, at MWC, Quanta, excuse me, QCT can be found at Hall 5, booth 11. Yeah. And uh, QCT also has a demo in Intel's booth in Hall 3. So um, two opportunities to see QCT technology um, on display at MWC. Um, final question for you. Um, as you look forward to 2018, obviously this is a year of huge growth in um, virtualized network deployments. What are you most excited about in terms of working with the carriers in this space? And um, what would you like um, the listeners um, online to be taking away in terms of opportunities to work with QCT on this journey? Um, typical, I think, for the uh, plus harbor years, um, um, we, uh, our teams, um, we back and forth uh, visits of different uh, carriers around the world. So, and uh, one, the uh, um, use case, and one, the uh, um, initiatives across the world to so get attention to almost all the uh, carriers regarding about the uh, mobile edge computing or the uh, multi-access edge computing. So edge computing is um, get a lot of the attention and looking for its nature can you know be uh, improve the overall the uh, throughput and latency and bringing this uh, not innovation in the business uh, create a, a whole suite new suite of the uh, service eventually can serve for the uh, customer. So I think as um, um, moving forward uh, for the um, you know 2018 is um, this year some. Um, we're looking for uh, some uh, some of the uh, developer and also collaboration with some uh, partner with the uh, the uh, our partner including the Intel to address the some the, the typical uh, the different requirement for the Mac MEC huh? so I'm I'm looking for that some that will be a next big thing as some um, eventually some um, bringing the uh, I, I mentioned there's a lot of business innovation from the carrier to the customer so I. I, I'm looking forward to you know some level of the uh, developing in other area, no matter system in the uh, working directly with the customer or collaborate with a different uh, expertise from the partner that uh, eventually come up with the uh, good suite for those um, Mac the use. For those who are listening online, um, the Intel Select solution featuring QCT's QX stack network function can be found at. Um, go.qct.io forward slash qct dash central dash office dash v2. 
For information about Select Solutions, please visit intel.com forward slash select solutions. Gary, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. It's my honor to be here. Yeah, thank you for having me in the uh, have a wonderful time at Mobile World Congress. We'd love to have you back on the program again soon. Yeah, yes. Uh, thank you. And look forward to the further collaboration with Intel. Thank you. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. I'm Allison Klein. We're coming to you live from Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, and I'm delighted to be joined by Jason Elliott, 5G Marketing Development at Nokia. Welcome, Jason. How's it going? Really great. Excellent. So tell me a little bit about um, what Nokia's got going on at Mobile World Congress and what are the main themes here this week? Well, it's absolutely incredible. I mean, obviously, everyone's talking about 5G, but uh, not just about the technology. It's really about how 5G is going to be used. And, you know, when you look at the Nokia booth, which is absolutely amazing this year, you know, we're really focusing on the use cases of 5G, like how our technology connects the world and what that means to kind of, you know, um, consumers and enterprises and businesses. And we're really showcasing how our technology uh, powers all those different types of use cases, everything from um, digital health to digital enterprise, your digital life and your digital city. So it's a really incredible view of how the future of technology will be powered and change our everyday lives. You know, this is a, a great intro to something that I wanted to talk to you about because 5G is very disruptive in terms of the kind of capabilities that it delivers and, and shouldn't be viewed at as a, another speed bump along the G's, if you want to think about it that way. Why is that? And what does 5G deliver that is so transformative in terms of the way content will be consumed, the types of content that can be delivered in different types of environments. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because um, absolutely not just a, another generation of technology. It's, it's really 5G is about changing uh, and additionally new business models. Um, so the opportunity to create new types of businesses and we'll see different types of players coming into the marketplace, creating new types of services that will get deployed. Um, I think enterprises have a big role to play here, um, you, know, you know, in addition to the traditional service provider market. Um, because of the flexibility of the network, and when we talk about flexibility, you know, we can program the network according to different types of traffic. Uh, we can create new types of services. Um, and also, obviously, because of the capacity of the network as well, we'll, we'll bring about new types of services like augmented and virtual reality as well. And the very low delay in the network, so that this, this latency topic that we, we talk about and hear about so often, uh, will enable so many different types of new use cases. And I think that's where um, the enterprises and businesses and industrial automation we talk talk a lot about in Industry 4.0 um, and how that will be transformed by you know, the wireless infrastructure, particularly 5G. Um, and we're focusing a lot on that area too. And I think this is going to be, that's going to be the real big difference with 5G. Now, obviously, um, there needs to be a tremendous amount of infrastructure put in place to deliver 5G. And that is happening now, at least in the initial steps with uh, transforming the network to virtual um, software-defined alternatives. 
Tell me a little bit about how that process is going with your customers and what you're seeing in terms of carriers laying that foundation for 5G. Absolutely. So already what's happening now is um, operators actually starting to build that infrastructure out, like you said. So they're virtualizing a lot of their network functions today in 4G and 4.5G and 4.9G as we go through the whole um, uh, path to 5G. And they're, they're virtualizing their software functions, making their network more programmable. So they're using uh, cloud-based data infrastructure to kind of realize all this. And not, not only in centralized data clouds, but we're also pushing these network functions closer to the edge of the network. So this is where we really talk about multi-access edge computing. Um, and this is a lot of the work that obviously that we're partnering with Intel on here um, and using the uh, processors that Intel uh, supplies in our airframe product. And you know, Airframe can actually be deployed in, in multiple configurations, either in central cloud data centers, mid data centers, and also at the edge. And what's so powerful about the edge is we can start to realize a lot more new types of applications and services because we're putting it closer to the access network. And that um, reduces the delay for all these kind of critical, more uh, time-sensitive, latency-sensitive applications. Now, I know that Intel and Nokia recently collaborated on one of those types of environments in Shanghai. Do you want to tell me a little bit about it? Yes, this was really fantastic because, you know, we, we, we obviously do a lot of work together and, and, you know, what's really powerful is that when you actually execute and you actually do something. And um, in October last year at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Shanghai, we actually used the uh, MEC platform, the multi-access edge computing platform, with our edge video orchestration application service. So what this did was we deployed multiple cameras in this venue, um, and then we take the live stream from those cameras, and then they're passed through the network to the MEC server, and then they're transcoded all the video data and then pushed back out to uh, the people actually in the audience. So they can view multiple camera angles. It doesn't matter where they were sat in the arena. They could actually, from their smartphone or their tablet, they could actually view all the video from these different cameras actually in real time. Um, and this is really different from what we've seen before because normally you have to send it back to a central cloud, the data gets processed, and then it comes back. So you can never do it real time. So this was a fantastic opportunity to really get a glimpse of how we're going to change the experience that we have in stadiums in the future. And we're only going to extend this into to more capabilities as we move towards 5G. That's a really interesting use case because a stadium is such a unique environment. Um, sometimes is. completely empty. Yes. Sometimes filled with hundreds of thousands that's of people <laughs> with smartphones. That's, that's right. Exactly. And that's the thing. So, um, you know, stadiums are quite unique because you have very dense numbers of people, tens of thousands of people. So um, there are two challenges here that basically is one of them is addressing that capacity concern. So you have to densify the network, first of all, with smaller cells. And then when we move to 5G, we'll actually be able to have larger spectral bandwidth so we can actually have more, um, more data throughput essentially as well. And we can also combine different access technologies as well. So we could have LTE, we could have Wi-Fi, we'll have 5G in the future, all connecting to that edge platform using MEC. And that's the really powerful thing for the fans is, is the network is becoming much more intelligent. So they'll, um, 
the best network could be selected for them in the future, and we can slice the network as well for certain applications and services. And that's another thing that will change when we talked about the business models earlier, that, that opportunity, once we get to 5G and we can actually do network slicing, that will actually allow all these new business models. Now, obviously, stadiums are not just pursued because we love sports. Uh, we can learn a lot from this in terms of other industries and other use cases that uh, could be deployed. What are the other ones that Nokia is looking at in terms of areas where 5G will really transform early? Yeah, I think if you if you took the concept of a stadium, um, you know, in a specific defined geography, and you looked at uh, a large enterprise campus like a, a factory or um, a transportation hub. Um, Again, these are the kind of same scenarios where they need a very localized network for very specific applications and services. Particularly, I think, when you get to um, the industrial manufacturing sector, um, and they're starting to automate things a lot more now because they, um, it's not only just for efficiency and productivity, but also safety. Right. Um, so there's a lot of safety control systems, and particularly as you know, we see obviously see a lot more robots um, on the production line right now, but they're not replacing the humans essentially, they're actually some of them working alongside the humans. And what we have to do is actually increase the safety control systems there. And the way we do that with wireless gives us the flexibility to be able to do that. And then obviously again with the edge computing using MEC, we can run different types of applications and services locally uh, so they're not going outside of that network, which creates that delay. Um, so I think definitely industry and then um, industrial type segments and then expanding out there from, from other types of industries that, that operate in this kind of campus type environment, there's a lot of opportunity there with enterprises. That's fantastic. Now, going back to the collaboration at the Mercedes Stadium, I know that there was a paper written about this, and um, folks who are listening online can find that. Where, where can they go to download more information about this particular uh, use case? So, so you can follow links from uh, Nokia.com, uh, 5G pages, um, the Intel pages, and also uh, we have a joint uh, telecom TV channel. Uh, the Intel Nokia channel, and if you go there, we have lots of collateral information, video interviews, solution briefs as well, um, and that will also link you back to several other white papers on the general 5G technology and the, the collaboration that we're, we're, we're doing together. I think those who are listening online that may be attending Mobile World Congress this week might also want to check out the demo in Hall 3 in the Intel booth. You guys are demoing this technology, if my memory serves correct. Yes, absolutely, yes. So, so we have uh, a couple of demos using um, MEC. And we also have a demonstration on the Intel booth here as well, which is absolutely fascinating. So we actually have um, the Edge Video Orchestration uh, where you can actually see the smart stadium viewer. So this is uh, where we have the data stored on the edge network. We're transmitting that over the wireless link in millimeter wave spectrum. And then um, there's a tablet that you can actually hold and actually see the different camera views and you can, and also scrolling text information as well. And the, the beauty of this is, is when you look at the tablet and you actually select one of those camera views, it changes instantly. Amazing. Yeah, that's very cool. Well, Jason, thank you so much for being on the program today. It was a real pleasure. One final question for you. If folks want to continue to engage with you and the rest of the Nokia team, how can they get in, in contact with you and find out about Nokia's entire portfolio of solutions? 
So again, if you go to uh, nokianetworks.com, uh, 5G, our 5G pages are right there. Um, follow us on all the social media channels as well, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, and, uh, or you can email me, jason.elliot at nokia.com, and we can gladly help you out with more information. Well, thank you so much for being on the program today. Enjoy your week at Mobile World Congress. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. We're coming to you live from Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. I'm Allison Klein, and I'm joined by Bob Everson, Global Mobility Domain Leader in the Global Service Provider Organization at Cisco. Welcome, Bob. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me. That uh, title's kind of a mouthful, huh? Yeah, it's a, it's a long one. I, I'm glad I got through it in one try. <laughs> so, so, Bob, um, obviously Cisco um, is a network leader. So Mobile World Congress is a huge event for you guys every year. Tell me a little bit about Cisco's presence at Mobile World Congress and how that fits in uh, with your scope of focus at Cisco. Great, great. So appreciate it. So, uh, so yeah, Cisco is, uh, MWC is a large show for us. Um, our presence is right next door to the Intel booth, so it's very convenient for us as, uh, as good partners here. Um, I lead mobility and 5G in our global service provider organization. So responsible for business development, uh, working with customers, working with the business unit, helping to align our solutions to, uh, to our customers' requirements. Um, MWC is a huge show for us. We've been here for, uh, for many, many years, and uh, it's really our marquee service provider show. Now... Cisco made some big news this week that I wanted to talk to you about. And before we get there, I wanted to talk to you about um, the work that uh, Intel and Cisco have been working on for the last year around Mobile Edge and 5G and how that's uh, transitioned into the VRAN space. Yeah, thanks. So we, we have worked uh, really closely with Intel. Intel plays a key role in this ecosystem, uh, both from, uh, from a hardware standpoint, enabling it with their processors and COTS hardware, as well as the innovation that they've done around FlexRAN. Uh, those things come together to, uh, to enable a, a wide variety of edge solutions. Um, customers are, uh, you know, my view is customers are still figuring out mobile edge compute. There are a number of applications where it probably makes sense, but we're in the process of, of validating some of that. We have, a, we have a great use case over in our booth uh, that shows an online gaming solution that is, uh, that is uh, benefited quite a bit by, by lower latency that we collaborated with Intel on. And uh, we're getting a lot of good customer interest around that. Now, this week, you announced um, a new collaboration and a new industry effort around Open VRAM. Tell me about that. We did. We did. And um, I have to say the, the uh, reaction has been really, really strong and very positive. A lot of interest. It, it hit the headlines very strong. Um, and, and I think that's indicative of, of really the drivers behind it. 
uh, you know, when we, we talk to customers and we look at where the industry is, uh, there's, there's a real need for a new architecture. This new architecture is emerging. Uh, virtualization, obviously, in the network and in fun network function virtualization has been around for a while. Things are maturing there. We're seeing the, the packet core virtualization really start to take off now after a number of years uh, and different elements like IMS and some of the other components. Um, the last piece that, that has not really virtualized yet is the RAN. But, uh, but there are a lot of great innovators out there in the space all across the ecosystem. They're doing some, some good work. So, uh, so we thought it was a good time to, to bring this together. Uh, and, uh, and like I said, the, the reaction from the press, reaction from customers has been really, really positive and very strong. Now, why open VRAN? Well, as customers build out new architectures and they deploy these new models, they want to make sure that the interfaces between these different elements are open. So they have choice and they have the maximum flexibility for a variety of different deployment models and use cases. And so open is, uh, is obviously a hot buzzword and there are a lot of industry uh, uh, efforts as well going towards opening up different interfaces. But, the, but one of the number one things that we've heard back from customers is the interfaces need to be open, whether it's from the radio to the software elements or whether it's up into the uh, OSS systems and, and automation and orchestration. And between the variety of different uh, elements in there, they want to make sure the interfaces are as open as possible. Now, you talked about the fact that you know we've had a number of years of virtualizing network functions, but the RAN has been kind of the last area that has not been virtualized. Why do you think that is? Why, why has the RAN been, uh, the, for lack of a better word, the laggard in this picture in terms of uh, driving virtualization to that very edge? Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, I would say there's, there are probably two things to that. One is as we look at virtualization, a lot of virtualization really started in the data center and kind of worked its way out into the access networks. And so it's sort of a natural migration of virtualization uh, where, where it's moving out. I think in the radio domain, um, there's, uh, there's quite a bit of complexity, obviously, in, in a radio system. Uh, and there's a lot of um, embedded legacy equipment as well that's out there, obviously, going from generation to generation. So it's a non-trivial task to, uh, to sort of virtualize this piece. Um, I think the other, I would say actually there's a, there's a third piece is just from, a, from an industry innovation standpoint, the maturity of the, the suppliers that are building the equipment has really come along in the last few years to where it's a much more viable option. We have startups that are building the software. We have startups that are just building the radios. We have uh, you know, more, more traditional radio vendors who are sort of dipping their toes in there as well. And so things are, things are coming together. Now, Cisco obviously led this announcement, but you've got others along with you, including Intel. Tell me about your plans in building an ecosystem around open VRAN, and what do you see as the, the path that this is going to take from today towards um, open VRAN deployments in the future? Okay, all right, that was some, sort of a mouthful, so you may have to take me back to some of that. Um, so, so our view for this is you know, when you look at a when you look at an end-to-end -end system, and and mobile operators need to deploy an end-to-end -end system. They want to deploy it in you know in, in modular chunks, so they don't have to do the whole thing from one vendor, but they want to look end-to-end. -end. So when we looked at that, 
we, we sort of determined, okay, what are, the, what are the pieces that are required for them to do this end to end? And so obviously we talked about the open interfaces, which open interfaces gives them uh, maximum flexibility for choice of radios, choice of software elements, choice of compute, all these different things, right? Um, that's one piece. The next piece is, as we look at all the different possible deployment models and use cases, um, there are things that need to happen to enable that. So there are infrastructure optimizations, which folks like Intel and Red Hat can help us with. There are um, the, uh, the interoperability with the mobile core elements, with the, with the OSS elements. And so what we're, what we're doing is we're taking more of a, of a holistic view across this and trying to leverage work that's going on in various different industry forums like XRAN, like TIP, uh, 3GPP. And, and align to make these things happen. Nobody's ever come together and done a true multi-vendor interoperable system like this in mobility, and so we're pretty excited about it. Now, when you, when you look at this announcement and you talk about what this will be doing in terms of the RAN, how does that fit into uh, other trends like 5G, and is um, 5G going to require open VRAN? Yeah, that's a good question. We've, we've talked about that a lot this week. Um, 5G is one of, the, one of the use cases. You know, 5G deployments are, are one of the use cases for virtual RAN, but a lot of the demand for virtual RAN is actually still in LTE. Uh, customers are looking to densify their networks. They are looking to roll out small cells, whether it's outdoor or whether it's indoor and enterprise. Uh, maybe they're trying to use suboptimal transport to, uh, to deploy uh, in, uh, in rural areas or in, in less developed markets. Um, there are a variety of different, different things that are going to drive this. Uh, and, and 5G is just one of them. Now, whether 5G requires it or not, 5G doesn't, doesn't technically require a virtualized RAN. In fact, um, operators are announcing more, more traditional DRAN and CRAN solutions for 5G. But to get to the ultimate architecture that they're trying to get to in 5G, we believe that, that VRAN is one of, the, one of the core components. Is that because of the composability and modularity of the solution, or is it um, something else? Right, right. It, it really is about the modularity. When we, when we look at the, the network architecture, they want to separate out some of the functions so they can scale differently. Um, maybe we talked about edge compute earlier as well. Um, there's, a, there's a great um, uh, you know, uh, deployment for edge compute, which would include the uh, virtual BBU, it would include a user plane, and then we could put edge compute there with it on the edge. Um, to do that, you need to be able to break some of these functions out in a more scalable manner. And it just gives them the, the ability to be more agile and, and dynamic in their service provisioning. So made the announcement at the show, what has the response been so far? And what are the most interesting comments you're getting back from carriers as well as uh, others in the industry? Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're just starting day two, and, uh, and I would say day one was very, very eventful. Uh, the, the announcement got, got fantastic press. Um, last I saw, I think it had been picked up. There were 40 different articles uh, referencing it was the last thing that I'd heard. So it's so been picked up, a lot of interest from analysts. Um, I met with uh, probably eight or 10 customers yesterday, and it came up in every single one of the conversations. Uh, the feedback is, has generally been very, very positive. They're, uh, they're 
excited to see Cisco and the partners in this space. You know, we have a strong ecosystem that's starting, and there are a number of others that we're talking to that are that are probably going to come into the ecosystem as well. So I think we'll have an announcement of some more some more players. Um, Customers are uh, are looking at it with uh, with an eye to a lot of possibility, but they're also asking the right questions, which is okay. What can I expect here? How does this work with some of the existing industry forums and existing activities? And and what are the next steps? But I will I'll tell you I have um, I think five follow up meetings out of those right now with customers who want to who want to dive in deeper and uh, and and uh, you know engage on this. Uh, and obviously Reliance Geo was uh, was our partner in the announcement, and uh, they're very very strong in this area and, and great innovators and great partners. Uh, and there are a number of others that are that are very interested here as well. You know, you've mentioned a few partners. Can you just give me the full list of uh, industry leaders that are engaged in this? Sure, sure. Thanks, Allison. So initially, we've started with uh, with a right, wide variety across multiple different uh, areas. So Altiostar, Ericent, Intel, Mavenir, Phaser, Red Hat and Tech Mahindra are the current ones who've signed on. Uh, and uh, I expect to have probably four or five more coming out of this week. Fantastic. Well, we always welcome collaboration with Cisco. Um, collaboration in this space for Intel will be an exciting endeavor. Um, one final question for you. As folks uh, approach 2018 and see the Open VRUN ecosystem getting started, what can we expect next in terms of engagement from the industry and proof of concepts and, and that type of thing right. uh, moving forward? Yeah, yeah. How do we how do we actually deliver on this and and, and make it real? So there are a couple of things that we're we're working on right away. Uh, one is developing a reference architecture to work off of, where we can can build this reference architecture across multiple vendors and give us a template to work towards. Uh, the second thing is we're doing validation of the elements and interoperability work. To, to make sure that they can they can actually communicate with each other, which which even at this point, um, you know, doing a uh, doing a trial with a 5G radio and a 5G packet core is is a non-trivial activity. In fact, it's it's driven some operators to to go single vendor initially. Um, we've had some multi-vendor trials that have been actually actually very successful, and we look to extend that. So interoperability testing, saying okay, Mr. Customer, you can you you can know that this is going to work together. Then the next next thing that we're doing as well is more of a solution validation end-to-end -end where we plug these things in, we characterize the performance, we uh, you know, work on the, the transport and do some optimizations around that. Uh, and then coming out of that, what we're going to build is we're going to build validated solutions, if you will, that say, okay, this you know works. You know, and, and then customers can take that and say, okay, this is a starting point for me as I'm looking to, to, to build out my network. One of the great things about you know, modular open systems is you, you have flexibility and you get a lot of options. One of the bad things can be you have a lot of options <laughs> because then all of a sudden there's this complexity of uh, you know which option do I which option do I take how do I put these pieces together it's you know it's kind of like uh, you, know, you dump all the Lego pieces on the floor and you have to figure out you know how to piece back together the kit so so customers are looking for for some guidance around starting points so they don't have to spend quite as much time we think so we're going to spend time there fantastic well Bob one final question for you. If folks are listening on the line, they want to find out more, where would you send them for more information about Open VRAN and to engage with your team around getting engaged in this program? 
That's great. So, uh, so I would say a couple of things. One, obviously, Cisco.com is a great reference. Uh, blogs.cisco.com slash SP is our service provider blog, and we have a post out there on it. Um, I am on Twitter at Everbo, so feel free to, uh, to tweet me there. And um, I'm easily reachable at Cisco as well. Thank you so much for being on the program today. It was a real pleasure. I can't wait to see uh, how you guys progress in this space. We'd love to have you back on the program. I'd love to join you, and thanks again. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. We're coming to you live from Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. I'm Alison Klein, and I'm delighted to be joined by Francisco Javier Ramon Salguero, Head of Network Virtualization at Telefonica's Global CTO Office, and Antonio Elizondo, Chief of Network Virtualization, Strategy, and Technology at Telefonica. Welcome, guys. Welcome back to the program. And so thank you. Here. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. So why don't we just get started with you, Francisco? Um, you have been on the program before talking about your uh, topic of passion, open source mana. And why don't you just uh, tell me um, a little bit about yourself and how this has become such an important focus for you? But I think that um, OSM, um, I, I'm glad that you mentioned that it's a, a, a topic of passion. I mean, because uh, uh, this uh, kind of uh, uh, projects which are complex and, and require um, adaptation uh, as you go, I mean, requires some, some degree of passion to, to make them work. Uh, I mean, the uh, OSM is, uh, is uh, what we understand is the missing piece in, in the puzzle in order to get uh, virtual network virtualization. Uh, fully deployable in, in, in an operator, and, and, and I think that what's happened in the since the last time that we talked is that there's been a, a tremendous evolution in in the project. A lot of maturity has been uh, achieved during this uh, period, and actually, in December of uh, 2017, was declared ready for production. So now the the conversations uh, in the project are going in a, in, in a different orientation, not. That related to enabling new functionality, but making it more uh, uh, appropriate to to package it in a convenient manner, etc. So we we are evolving from a purely technical approach of uh, enabling cool stuff to making it as stable as possible, as convenient as possible to consume. So these interesting times ahead. Now you are the chair of the industry effort. Uh, developing the underlying technology for the space. Tell me a little bit about um, the Open Source Mano organization and um, how you're seeing engagement from the provider uh, community as well as um, from com service providers themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, uh, we recently reached the number of 90 uh, members which is a round number uh, <laughs> worth mentioning, uh, with the recent, uh, I mean, the, in, the, in the last uh, weeks there's been the incorporation of uh, Korea Telecom, mm -hmm. also we saw uh, a couple of months ago Amazon joining mm -hmm. the project, and, and makes up to 11 service providers uh, of different categories there. So, I mean, the, the, the traction in, uh, of the project is um, it ca ca can be neglected. And actually, I think that the most interesting 
part of, of the composition of the project is not only the large uh, amount of, of, of members, but also the composition. I mean, you have an, an, a number of uh, providers of infrastructure, providers of OSS, providers of BNFs, that is really important here to take them into account in order to facilitate the, 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 their work when they, they go to a, a commercial deployment. So, uh, and of course, final consumers of, of, that, of that technology. So I, I, I think that we have a nice balance of uh, participation and, and getting a lot of traction. So quite happy about that. Now, Antonio, obviously you're more focused on Telefonica's work to actually implement some of this technology internally. Tell me about where we're at um, with taking this from the um, discussions with the industry on how open source managers should work to actually implementing it on Telefonica networks. Yes. Well, precisely, uh, I'm involved in the uh, network virtualization program of Telefonica that is called Unica, as uh, many people uh, know. And, uh, well, uh, we have started deploying Unica in four different markets in, in last year, and we are expanding to the rest of uh, uh, Telefonica markets uh, during this year. No? Uh, we uh, have started to, to let's say, uh, to deploy the basic things that uh, that we need uh, to to have a, a, a production ready environment, but one of the last pieces, as uh, Javier has commented, that is in general and also in Telefonica, is precisely an advanced orchestration layer. What we are finding is that OSM has a very mature uh, common information model. Mature because uh, thanks to a community with more than 90 uh, different organizations that uh, are playing there. Is uh, we are counting on many casuistic, many different use cases, okay, both from the from the side of the service providers because uh, there are several of them, and also uh, on the part of the industry. We are also finding uh, we, uh, here in in the own Mobile World Congress, we, we are having the opportunity to meet several vendors and even several service providers, no? and from the uh, service provider side. Uh, there is also the perception that we need a common and general framework uh, that makes easy to do the onboarding and uh, to manage the life cycle of BNFs. And that's precisely one of the uh, advantages or benefits that OSM uh, has. No? And it, this is the reason why Telefonica uh, is pushing the, the OSM uh, project <coughs> and we expect to to, indu to industrialize it and, um, and to include it uh, within the unique architecture. Now, Javier mentioned that uh, Open Source Mano is a key missing piece to the full virtualization of the network. Tell me how uh, Telefonica is approaching integration of that missing piece in terms of your broader objectives around network virtualization strategy and technology? Yes. Uh, basically, what we are finding is that the, the, the different BNF vendors that uh, we are uh, deploying on top of Unica, they come with, uh, let's say, different approaches uh, to the onboarding with, uh, with uh, let's say, descriptors that are not easily to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to port, okay? Uh, uh, there are 
uh, different understandings, there are different assumptions on different releases of uh, OpenStack, for instance, and what uh, we are finding is that OSMs provide an agnostic way of describing things. It's agnostic to uh, to use it uh, underlie uh, technologies, okay? And this makes possible uh, mm, that uh, we are finding no, a common way to uh, to uh, to deploy and to manage no, uh, complex and simple uh, VNFs. Okay, so we are. Uh, seen in the lab how the, the usage of these uh, OSM packages save us a lot of work. Javier, um, as you look forward in your work with the 90 vendors that are engaged in this space, um, how does um, the influence of what the Telefonica teams are learning internally in the labs influence where, and other, and other companies are learning in the labs, influence the next generation of um, work jointly within the OSM community? Well, that's, uh, that's a, a key point, actually, in a, in a community, that uh, how, how we drive the evolution and how we set the priorities. I mean, I mean it's, uh, what, what, what we're doing is that we um, open a call. Once that we launch one, one release, we we launch uh, one in in October, so so we we are <laughs> well ahead in that process now for the next release uh, for April. What happens is that uh, once that we launch a release, we meet together and and and, and bring and collect all the proposals. What what are the things that we would like to do better? What are the thing, the additional things that we would like to to see happening? And, and after a process where, where we go through some common designs, uh, we decide which ones will, will be the target for the for the next one, and the rest of them are kept uh, as, as part of the backlog. So, um, uh, for instance, just just to mention um, some of those is that there have been, uh, I mean, the, many of the technologies that have been that have been included related to public cloud in in in, in the previous release were related to that uh, to that process. Things that were ma many improvements in the way that the system was was managed uh, were included. I mean, uh, the, uh, the different uh, roles in the organization that could be uh, taken into account, the separation per project, all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. came from the usage that the own community made from the previous release. Mm -hmm. What they, I would not say dislike, but the things that we like to do in a more convenient way, and that's combined. And also, you have the the obvious inputs related to new technologies that are emerging. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, to name, um, I mean, if, if you have a different type of uh, infrastructure that you need to interact, and, and, and OSM is quite uh, open to interact and, and to, to operate with as many type of infrastructure as possible, uh, you, you need to take it into account in, in each of those processes. You have also some uh, type of feedback related to the modeling that Antonio has mentioned. This is key. I mean, you have new type of application, new types of uh, BNFs, and some of them have different requirements that you are not even considered in your model. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and you need to incorporate them, but it's not a matter of saying, look, I, I'll create a new field here. It's that you need to enable everything end to end from the top of the stack to the bottom, to, to the uh, final bit in the infrastructure. So that means that you need to make uh, a prioritization in, in the community in order to say, we either enable it end to end in the release or we wait for a better moment. And, and, that, and that is the, the process that we've gone through. And actually, we have uh, we had a, a, our mid-term uh, uh, meeting I mean, in, the, in the middle of the release cycle. You have one meeting where you say, okay, we have uh, the list of features for the next release frozen. Mm -hmm. 
so we won't uh, accept new orders because now we've made the prioritization and now we're just going to the target of, of, of getting them completed. Uh, and 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 we are almost uh, almost there. I mean, in in, in I would say one month. I mean, in April, we have the 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 next release after the, all that process has gone, all the all the prioritization, all the designs, um, and hopefully we'll have a nice f uh, release four. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so you you've talked a little bit about uh, the maturity of the model and and the fact that you've achieved an agnostic model. Tell me a little bit more about that in terms of why an agnostic model is important as you roll this out across providers and, and really deliver an open solution. Well, one, one of the reasons is uh, because uh, there are different uh, virtualization in, uh, environments no, that uh, we are interested in no, being able to support. Uh, that obviously depends on uh, every single service provider that uh, each one has uh, their own plans. No? In the case of Telefonica, uh, what uh, we do have is uh, the interest uh, because we have uh, uh, enterprise customers that they are interested on, on that. Uh, we provide uh, services that connect also to public clouds, like it uh, could be Amazon Web Services or many others, okay? So we need to be able to support uh, that sort of uh, environments. Uh, we also uh, have uh, de deployed in our internal uh, IT uh, applications in in environments like, uh, uh, like uh, VMware ones, okay? So we're interested in being able to support all of this. Uh, the assumption is that uh, uh, much of the NFV workloads uh, will go into the, uh, let's say, into OpenStack. Mm -hmm. But when you uh, deal uh, into details, you see that there are different releases of uh, OpenStack, that uh, there are uh, different uh, suppliers of OpenStack that optimize their uh, the deployments, for instance, with real time, or uh, let's say for uh, intensive uh, data plane uh, traffic. So at the end, you realize that there is a rich variety of environments that uh, you may be interested in supporting. Okay, so OSM. Mm, having an agnostic model to all of that mm -hmm. allows you to have an, let's say, a stable descriptor for the BNFs, but that can be easily adapted thank you, thanks to a plugin model to the different environments. Same happens, uh, for instance, when you uh, look at the different SDN uh, technologies that uh, are outside in the market, you may be interested in having something ODL, Open Daylight related, honest related, or uh, Open Control. Uh, there are many options, no? There are also the vendor-specific uh, options that you need to support. What we are finding is that many of the descriptors that we are using today are only valid for a given technology. And this is a problem for, for all of us if, if we want to, to advance faster, no? Because this creates a high dependency that is unnecessary as we are seeing, no? With, with OSM. So incredible progress in the last two years. I believe it was two years at MWC when OpenMana was announced, if my memory serves correct. A new a release coming out in April. Um, Javier, where can folks go to find out more about OpenMana, maybe get involved and uh, uh, find out about the next release that's coming? Yeah, but well, there are several channels to, to do that. I mean, the, the obvious uh, entry point for all, all the developments in OSM is the own portal. Uh, osn.etsy.org, uh, where they can find all the all the information of, uh, of how to 
interact with the system or the latest release, plus also a, a large set of uh, tutorials that have been developed and recorded uh, during these two years. So. Uh, some of them can be uh, related to other releases, but and then the the, the second uh, source is that uh, the the hackfest that we that we organize uh, uh, quite um, relatively often, and some of them are, are collocated with uh, with the Ono SM events or some Etsy events. The last one was uh, collocated with the Etsy plug test, which was quite convenient because there were many people from the. Um, NFV community uh, going there, so they could attend both both events. The next one is is collocated with the um, uh, uh, the layer one to three event in Madrid, uh, the the zero touch uh, carrier automation. Mm -hmm. So it, it's collocated. Actually, it's hosted by Intel. So, <laughs> so that's uh, a, a nice opportunity to get from almost from zero in terms of the knowledge of the system to onboard your own BNFs, to do the your, um, complex installations, I mean, the different alternative installations, run some process of uh, automation. I mean, something that is very important that uh, uh, Antonio has mentioned is, is the way to, the modeling is key here. You have a system that is essentially an engine of interpreting modelings and translating to different environments, right? And something that is the obvious part that you think is, uh, look, I translate to different infrastructures and, and map it. Mm -hmm. But what is even more, uh, I would say, in, in, innovative in this in this framework is the way that you model the applications uh, uh, as well. I mean, the way that you make them homogeneous from the perspective of the system. So end-to-end -end you can uh, automate uh, following the same procedure, right? And there is a lot of uh, uh, information that the, that the ecosystem needs to know. Uh, if you are the application developers, you need to be able to expose uh, the, the mechanism that you use internally there. So that is the kind of enablement that is given in those uh, hackfests in order to explain the vendor community how to interact successfully and get the most uh, from an OSM system. Incredible progress, guys. Well, thank you so much for being here today. It's always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Javier and Antonio, we'd love to have you back on the program in the future. Okay. Thanks it's a, a pleasure. Yeah. It's been Thank a pleasure. You. Thank you. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you live from Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, and I am delighted to be joined by Alexis Borlin. And I just, I'm sorry, I just completely messed up my screen. I'm delighted to be joined by Alexis Borlin, VP of the Data Center Group and GM of our Connectivity Group. Welcome, Alexis. Hi, thanks for having me. So Alexis, this is your first time on the program. So I just want to start with an introduction of you. Can you tell me a little bit about what your uh, scope of focus is at Intel and how that fits into our broader objectives for the data center? Sure. So I run the data center connectivity group uh, here at Intel, where we are responsible for the connectivity products um, that comprise the Ethernet networking, the, our Omnipath high-performance fabrics, and our silicon photonics um, uh, optical interconnects. Obviously, all of those areas are um, topics of focus at Mobile World Congress. 
Why don't you tell me a little bit about um, the connectivity group's focus at Mobile World Congress and why um, silicon photonics in particular is becoming a focus for comm service providers? So photonics has had a really important place in mobile networking for quite some time. Uh, ever since the advent of 4G LTE, we were seeing an increase in data rates uh, from the radio masthead uh, through the front hall and, of course, through the backhaul networks. Uh, but what we are seeing is an incredible increase in the amount of data that's going to be transmitted through the um, massive array of Internet of Things uh, sensors and um, and connectivity in the future. So with 5G, we anticipate a much uh, higher bandwidth requirement from the radio mastheads through the, through the front hall network. So we've been focused on uh, delivering a 100 gigabit per second transceivers that'll support the uh, six to 10X increase in data demand, uh, providing 100 gigabit links uh, direct uh, through fiber optics from the remote radio unit uh, through the front hall. Now, we've talked about silicon photonics on this show before, um, but it's probably time for a refresher on how this is such an amazing technology that Intel's been working on for years and finally delivering to the market as of last year. Tell me a little bit about the progress with silicon photonics and how um, the technology for a 100 gigabit transceiver fits in with the broader portfolio. Absolutely. Uh, it actually fits in uh, quite well because what we've been focused on is delivering uh, 100 gigabit transceivers at scale for intra data center networking today. That's really connecting up all the switch to switch interconnects uh, from top of rack through the leaf and the spine uh, interconnects that are in hyperscale data centers. Um, as this technology continues to grow and hit mass scale, uh, what we're seeing, what we're driving is uh, cost effectiveness, power effectiveness, uh, and all utilizing Intel's uh, internal manufacturing capability, you, reusing all of our um, manufacturing fabs and the, uh, the existing tool sets to drive photonics uh, to scale that's never been done before. So traditionally in the fiber optics uh, community, the manufacturing backend is, is one of the challenges. Uh, and what we've been seeing as the uh, bandwidths have increased over time is that optics are really gating entire market deployments. So our goal uh, is to alleviate that constraint and to solve the, the manufacturing problems that have been uh, persistent in the photonics and optics communities uh, since inception. Now obviously when you go inside a data center and you're talking about connecting you know, to a switch or rack to rack, that's a much smaller distance than the 10 kilometer distances you were describing for 5G. Is there anything different in the types of technology that you need to deliver there or things that you need to consider in terms of those environments? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we started our deployments in 2016 and really hit high volume manufacturing over 2017. Uh, our first products uh, were uh, parallel uh, PSM4 transceivers and our second products that we released at the end of 2017 uh, were the CWDM4, uh, the fiber, um, the duplex 100 gig. 
So the CWDM4 transceivers are the ones that we'll be using in the uh, radio front hall networks. Now, those environments are quite different. So within a data center, there's relaxed um, reliability requirements. There's also relaxed temperature requirements. Uh, and certainly, we have to harden these technologies in order to service the radio uh, radio access networks. So what we do need to, what we're showing today uh, at Mobile World Congress is a extended temperature range, 100 gigabit per second transceiver that's capable of operating from the harsh environment of negative 20 degrees uh, to 85 degrees. Wow, that's, a, that's quite a range. Um, what has the response been from the carriers that you've been talking to at the show this week? Oh, the response is overwhelmingly positive um, from both the uh, network equipment providers and the carriers uh, because everybody sees the optics uh, becoming you know, a, a high-cost element, uh, an important reliability element, and an incredibly important bandwidth and throughput uh, element in the entire end-to-end -end network. So we're seeing tremendously positive uh, response because Intel's high volume Volume manufacturing capability uh, is something that everybody's been looking for. Uh, silicon photonics platforms as a whole uh, don't need to be hermetically sealed because that's inherent in the process. So we've been able to demonstrate this technology at the temperature ranges, at the data rates required in advance of the really big 5G uh, trials that'll be coming up in the next uh, in the next year. So we're ready for the trial deployments uh, and we'll be uh, ready for production when 5G hits volume. That's fantastic. Uh, great progress at the show this week. Great uh, testament to the work that you and your team are doing with Silicon Photonics. I would be remiss, however, in not asking you about your other products in your portfolio. You mentioned um, that the Connectivity Group is also responsible for our Ethernet products, uh, for our OmniPath products. Can you tell me a little bit about how you view that entire portfolio together and how a data center uh, provider or a um, communications network provider should look at these technologies as working in concert with one another? Absolutely. One of the main focal points of pulling all these technologies into a single organization has been to drive end-to-end -end optimization. So really looking at the problems that we'll see in the future. The future fabrics and networks are becoming much more intelligent. They require much more programmability. Uh, elements of serviceability uh, and uh, telemetry are really important. So having the capability to provide intelligent uh, networking elements at the edge and through the fabric uh, is really important to enabling our customers and end users uh, the quality of service metrics that they're looking for as well as the flexibility uh, that they'll need to deploy, you know, to handle the massive amounts of data ingress that'll be happening in the future. Also to service uh, the future of, you know, disaggregated resources across the data centers. So we see just a tremendous increase in the amount of bandwidth uh, required and the amount of intelligence required in the network. And that's been the focal point of our product portfolio from smart NICs to uh, highly engineered and optimized fabrics um, servicing high performance computing. Uh, and we're starting to see these trends and these things required uh, for the advent of the new workloads uh, driving artificial intelligence and machine learning workloads, all um, being able to access and utilize uh, the end-to-end -end portfolio that we have. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on the program today. We'll have you back again soon. Thank you very much.
Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you live from Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. And I've got two guests in the studio with us today. Kelly LeBlanc, VP of Six Wind Marketing, and Paul Stevens, Marketing Director of Advantic Networks and Communications Group. Welcome, guys. Thank you, Allison. Thank you, Allison. I should say welcome back. Why don't we go ahead and just have each of you introduce yourselves and talk a little bit about what your company's highlighting here at Mobile World Congress this week. Kelly, do you want to start with you? Yes, yeah, sure. So I'm Kelly LeBlanc running the marketing for Six Wind, and we are a high-performance networking software company. At Mobile World Congress this week, we have our premier demo. We're showing a V-router, and it's deployed in public and private clouds, two different packages. One is for BGP routing. The second is for IPsec VPNs, all in software. And we're delighted because we're with two network builders partners in our demo, of course, Advantech with Paul. And we have also Cloudify. So we're showing ease of use, ease of management, and nice software VMs running on top of Intel scalable uh, Xeon processors. Fantastic. Paul, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, hi. Uh, so I'm Paul Stevens, uh, Marketing Director at uh, Advantech Networks and Communications Group. Actually, this year at MWC is pretty exciting for us because we see some of our other divisions coming here. And we're also seeing a, a, a golden thread, really, that brings IoT into the story. So, in fact, some of our divisions uh, are, are showing devices that are down right at the IoT gateway side of things, so on the LoRaWAN booth. Um, and then we have other demos that are going on, more pertinent to edge computing, with a mobile uh, a, a, a multi-access edge demo on the ITRI booth, but also a, an artificial intelligence demo there as well. So that that's pretty cool. Um, and then the rest of the gear that we're talking about is really white box uh, networking gear for uh, the communications market, and that goes from universal CP devices to the provider edge of the network where we're working closely with Sixwind uh, uh, and our ecosystem on this vRouter project. Fantastic. Well, the vRouter project mentioned by both of you is the core feature of the episode today. So tell me a little bit about the demonstration and why this technology uh, use case is so critical uh, in the networking environment today. Kelly, do you want to start? Sure. So with the virtual router, what we're enabling is a customer to do in software running on a white box server what was historically only available in the hardware appliance or a chassis. So it's what we believe the future of networking is software on white box networking servers. And we see this with our vRouter. So a customer can deploy a VM wherever they like. In our use case, it's a private or a public cloud. And they can roll them out quickly onto a server that's running the Intel Xeon scalable processors. In this case, it's the Advantic Sky platform. And it can be easily configured through Cloudify. So Cloudify is doing full orchestration and configuration on all of the VMs with some monitoring through Grafana. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so Grafana is an, an, another open source tool. It's really nice. We have APIs that connect directly, and you can monitor everything from CPU utilization, throughput, and even check the IPsec tunnels. Yeah, I, I, I'm very familiar with Grafana. I wasn't expecting you to bring it up in this interview. That's fantastic. That's some gorgeous visualization on the data as well. Tell me a little bit about 
um, the the Six Wings software here and um, what technologies you've integrated into that software package. Sure. So with the V router, it comes in two different packages. The first is a full router, so the virtual router, and then the second is an IPsec VPN. Now, both of these come in actual software packages that are licensed by throughput. So we have options from one gig all the way up to 100 gig. And this is fully in software. So that's, it's a really scalable solution where you deploy a processor core, and you will scale linearly with the number of cores, and you can go well over 100 gig on a single server. Now, the Advantix Sky, Sir, Sky 8101 server, to be precise, um, is in this demonstration and forms the hardware foundation. Tell me a little bit about that platform and which Xeon scalable processor you've selected to drive this workload. Yep, that's an excellent question on Sky because uh, that, that was our first uh, uh, Intel scalable processor server. So it's a short depth server intended for more uh, edge cloud style environments. Um, and actually, we, we, we support all the way up to the top 28 core full Xeon uh, package. Um, it's a single uh, Xeon server so we don't get into any unnecessary NUMA issues with uh, with the dual Xeon and it fits really a lot of those uh, vRouter or provider edge applications it it scales very nicely so the great thing about the whole of the the scalable series is we can fit it to meet the the, the network throughput and the ports that are on the particular platform so depending on the number of 110 or 40 gig ports uh, the, the scalable processor is absolutely perfect for us now tell me about the relationship between the VMs that you're supporting within the 61 software and the number of cores that you've got on that platform. On this particular platform, uh, we are 14 and 16 cores of the sweet spot, really, for a majority of, uh, of uh, it's a one, 1 gig and a 10 gig mix. Um, and then we can move all the way up to 28 cores if we need, if we need higher port count and throughput. Now, Kelly, you mentioned that Cloudify is also part of this demonstration, so we would be remiss in not talking about their Cloudify manager. And why is that such an important component of this demo? Yeah, so really the beauty of Cloudify is the orchestration piece. Mm -hmm. And so what we've done is configured the demo. All of the BGP routes, all of the IPsec VPNs have been seamlessly configured with Cloudify and orchestrated across the entire platform. Now... You mentioned that you know the, these three companies, all members of the Intel Network Builders community. This is a fantastic example of what virtual networking can bring in terms of open industry standard technology um, and multiple companies working together to accelerate technology into the marketplace. What's the response been so far, Paul, in terms of the demonstration? And what have you seen at MWC in terms of interest in this solution? Yeah, I, I think it's a good, really good, is a good showcase of, of what we can do with Intel Xeon scalable platforms. So we've had quite a lot of people coming over for demos. I think another reason for that is probably Six Wins announcement last week uh, of the uh, the design win with a customer. So that means real deployment in mass of these uh, V routers um, uh, uh, with uh, with Eolo, which is an Italian service provider. Um, so I think that's drawn in the crowds to look at what we're able to do on this kind of platform. So Kelly, congratulations on the design win. Tell me a little bit about it. Yes, yeah, so this customer is Eolo, as Paul mentioned. It's an Italian service provider. 
And what's really nice is the human aspect of this customer because they're enabling internet service to communities of people who previously didn't have any because they were falling behind the EU schedule for internet. And so they quickly came up with a solution with towers and an SDN router, which they've used 6Win software to create to provide internet to the communities in Italy who didn't have it. That's fantastic. Um, I think that this is a great example of how the transform transformative technology can really drive cost points that um, can reach these types of markets. What has been the um, response from the customer in terms of the six win solution, uh, the, the infrastructure that you've put together? Oh, yes. Yeah. So we've been working with this customer now for five years. Wow. And really, I think it shows the beauty of the combination of six win and Advantech and Intel because the first generation project, in fact, was on Tylera. And for that project, we got the SDN router complete, and it was servicing internet for connectivity for the community. And with the latest project, it's a full migration to Intel. That's fantastic. So with Advantech, we're migrating to Intel. We're using the Xeon scalable processors, and we have now the customer servicing 300,000 customers. So Eolo's up and running with 300,000 customers. Well, viva Italia. Um, Paul, any other news from Advantech at the show that you want to mention? Yeah, well, I'd like to just have a little pitch at the end of the year yeah, one, which I think sure. is exciting because, uh, again, it's, it's putting servers in different locations within the network where there's different environmental constraints. And here we're putting them actually at cell towers. So we've taken a 400 millimeter depth server, turned it around, we reworked thermals, reworked all that portion of it so we can sit in a harsher environment with extended temperatures. And, and I think that that's what's really good. And, and, and perhaps that's one of the, the, the uh, messages from Advantech is we have this golden thread of a product line that runs from Atom through to Intel Scalable. And our platform has really formed that golden thread of standard products that can be then customized to meet other specific environments that uh, that perhaps you couldn't in a, with a data center server. Yeah, that's fantastic. So let me go back to my, my last question. Any other news from Advantic at the show that you want to feature today? Yes, actually, uh, there was a, a blog, I think, from Dan Rodriguez uh, yesterday where he was talking about the uh, Intel Select uh, NFV program. So we have a fast-track program that we're working on very closely. And the idea is to get out a complete NFVI infrastructure to customers and operators so that they can easily uh, start work and start moving forward on, on evaluating uh, NFV in general. That sounds fantastic. I mean, it really is an extension of what you were just talking about in terms of the Atom to Xeon scalable thread of innovation that Advantic is driving. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. One final question for both of you. I'm sure that we've piqued folks' interest about this solution and what you've been able to do with it um, with an actual customer deployment. Um, tell me about where folks can find out more about the vRouter and about the solution offerings from both companies. Do you want to go first? For SixWin, you can visit us at sixwin.com. And Advantech, it's... Uh Advantech.com slash NC for network, uh, network computing. Fantastic. Well, Kelly and Paul, it's always a pleasure to spend some time with you. Once again at MWC, I know how busy both of your schedules are. Thanks for the time today. Thank you, Allison. Thank you, Allison.